on June 17, 1966, two men walked into the Lafayette Grill in Patterson, New Jersey. And these two men murdered three people in cold blood. Now that story in and of itself is bad, but what makes matters worse is that Reuben Hurricane Carter, a celebrated boxer and his friend, were the two that were charged and convicted of that crime. Why that is so terrible is because these two men were innocent. Carter, though incarcerated, did not give up. For years and years, he uh, studied law, and he worked on building his case, and in fact, he became a popular figure. Singer-songwriter Bob Dylan, who was enraged by the injustice of it all, he wrote a song about the hurricane. I want to play a little clip of it this morning for you. you'd hear Bob Dylan on Sunday morning, huh? Yeah. Listen to the lyrics of this song again. Here comes the story of the hurricane. The man the authorities came to blame for something that he never done. It's typical Bob Dylan language there. Put in a prison cell, but at one time he could have been the champion of the world. It's a great song, isn't it? even though the story is extremely sad. Carter went to prison for a crime he didn't commit, and although he was eventually released, he spent 19 years behind bars. Nearly two decades of his life. He lost the opportunity to enjoy his career. He lost the opportunity to enjoy some of the best years of his life with his wife. He lost the opportunity to watch his children grow up. Those years were gone for Reuben Carter. If you're like me, after hearing this story, you're thinking to yourself, how unfair, how absolutely unjust. I mean, it makes me angry when I hear stories like this, doesn't it you? Don't you get upset when you hear about innocent people charged and convicted of things they didn't commit? And and, in the same way, don't you get angry when people who do commit those crimes get off scot-free or get a light sentence? I had a friend of mine, roommate in college, whose father, he actually worked for the Pentagon, and he was at home in Stuttgart, Arkansas, visiting his family, and he was shot and killed outside of his parents' home. And the man who was guilty of that crime did less than five years. That upsets me, doesn't it you? 
These things upset me. I hate hearing stories about injustice and oppression. For example, I hate the fact that women and children in, in cities throughout the U.S. Are, are abused. I had a friend of mine recently contact me, who I went to high school with, and she was in an abusive relationship both physically and, and, uh, and mentally, verbally and physically, I'm sorry, for seven years. For seven years, her home was her prison. That upsets me. That upsets you? Life at times can be extremely difficult. We're reminded of this every time we walk outside, every time we turn on the news, every time we open the paper. And at times, it's not fun to talk about these things, is it? But they exist in our world. And guess what? The Bible also doesn't fail to address these things, does it? We're continuing our study this morning through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be in chapter 3 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 3 this morning. We're going to be making sense of life's difficulties. And I want to warn you this morning, these verses that we're going to read, they are heavy, okay? They are heavy. They are some of the more distressing and discouraging verses in all the Bible. Aren't you glad you came this morning? All right. Good old Solomon. Going to bring us down on a sunny day. If I were just picking a text out of Ecclesiastes, this would not be where I would go first. This would not be where I would go first. But you know what? The great thing about preaching through books of the Bible and preaching through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is you don't have the freedom just to kind of skip over certain passages of Scripture. You're forced to deal with these challenging passages of Scripture. And this is where we are this morning, talking about life's difficulties. But there's something I want you to understand. Though that's the case, though this is a challenging text, though this text is a bit discouraging, there's a reason Solomon put it in this book. There's a reason why it's in the Bible. I've made this point more than a few times, and I'll probably make it again before we end this study. But at times, the Bible just gives us a smack in the face with the cold, hard facts of life, doesn't it? Not every verse of Scripture reads like a day spring card, like I said earlier in the the series. Not every verse of Scripture reads like those calendars you get with the pretty sunsets. And this is one of those passages of Scripture that's just, it's, it's challenging. Solomon, with this passage of Scripture, he wants you and me to feel the weight of this life. Which is why he makes clear in this, in this uh, passage we're going to look at this morning, if you were to summarize this passage, it's, it's just this. This is Solomon's point. Life is harsh and then you die. That's his point this morning. But let's be honest. I think deep down, we don't get upset at Solomon, do we? Because deep down, we know what he's saying rings true, don't we? Solomon's not a pessimist. Pessimists get on my nerves, don't they, you? He's not a pessimist. He's a realist. 
He gives us information that we know to be true, so it's hard for us to get angry at Solomon, isn't it? Solomon knew what life was really like. At times it's cold, it's harsh, severe, even tragic. As Sinatra said, that's life. That's how it goes. And that's Solomon's point this morning. Life is harsh and then you die. That's life. That's how it goes. So let's begin looking at this passage of Scripture in verse 16. And let's discuss how to make sense of life's difficulties. Number one, though there is injustice everywhere, God has the final word. Look at verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Right. That word, moreover, indicates that a transition is being made. In this passage, Solomon's shifting gears a bit. In the previous passage, remember, we talked about life seasons. And how though the seasons of life are brief, and though they're up and down, they are appointed by God. Therefore, we need to find enjoyment in the season that we're in. And understand that though we can't understand the beginning from the end like God can, what we need to do in response is just get in step with Him. Get in harmony with Him and trust, as the Scriptures say, that God is going to make everything beautiful in His perfect timing. That's pretty positive, right? It's a pretty positive message. One chapter, in in verse 16, Solomon is shifting gears to a more negative outlook on things. And the reason why Solomon's doing this is not because he's got, you know, a split personality. And it's not because uh, he's changing his tone. He's just changing his perspective. You remember I told you in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is looking at the world from two different perspectives. At times, he looks at life from under the sun. A horizontal and limited view of this life with God removed. And it's pretty dim, isn't it? Other times, he's looking at at life from above the sun, which is a vertical view of life with God in the mix. But in verse 16, Solomon here, he's looking at life under the sun. And as a student of life, and a good one at that, one of the observations that Solomon makes is that when just looking at life under the sun, a horizontal perspective, there doesn't seem to be much in the way of justice in this life. Though we're supposed to enjoy the season of life that we're in, Solomon realizes at times this can be difficult because life can be nasty, can it? Can be. Solomon's point is, at times it's hard to enjoy life because of all the injustice in our world. Injustice just infuriates us, doesn't it? I mean, it just gets under our skin. When I'm watching a movie... Even though a lot of times I prefer it to end happy, I can be okay with an unhappy ending to a movie. But if a movie leaves me with the sense of injustice, now that's a different story altogether, isn't it? Think about the movie Braveheart. For those of y'all that haven't seen it, you're about to get the ending ruined for you. I apologize. William Wallace in Braveheart, at the end, he dies. But we're okay with that, right? He dies for the sake of freedom kind of pumps us up, doesn't it? 
But what if the movie would have ended with the evil king continuing to live a long life and continuing to oppress Wallace's people long after he was dead? Boy, we may not like that movie. I mean, injustice, it's just, it's hard to stomach, isn't it? Just angers us. We love to hear stories of justice, don't we? Paul Harvey told this story. This is a great story about a convict who was standing before the judge, and the judge was just letting him have it. And wouldn't you know it, he has to take a bathroom break. So the police officers, they escort him to the bathroom, and they stand outside, and when he goes in, he, he tries to escape by climbing up the piping and breaks through the ceiling, and he's, he's crawling across the ceiling trying to get out. True story. And the ceiling breaks, and wouldn't you know it, he falls right back down into the courtroom. That's justice, isn't it? We like that. But guess what? Oftentimes, we get just the opposite, don't we? Solomon observes that what makes life so challenging is that we live in a world filled with injustice. And we know that to be the case, don't we? Though we have, we have written laws and elected officials and, and law enforcement and prisons, let's be honest, these things are only as good as those who are in charge. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe our system is the best in the world. But is it perfect? No. Not even close. The system doesn't work perfectly because sinners cannot bring ultimate and perfect justice upon other sinners. It's just not going to happen. We are imperfect. We are flawed. At times, we allow our motives to get involved and we have selfish intentions. There is injustice in our world. At times, we see the innocent dealt discipline, and we see the guilty get off scot-free. And that's Solomon's point here. Solomon proves there is injustice everywhere. And he proves this by showing that in the two places where there should be goodness and fairness, there's wickedness. Look at what he says. He says, I've seen under the sun that in the place of justice, there is wickedness. This is a reference to the court of law. Of all places, there should be justice in our courts. And a lot of times there are, but not always. And though we we, we have lawyers and we have judges and others in that line of work concerned with justice, there are many who are not concerned with justice. Solomon says, in the place of righteousness, there's wickedness. Now that's directed toward people in my line of work. And we know that to be true, don't we? We have seen people in positions of power abuse that power. We have seen the church rocked with scandal. I remember when I was young, going to a meeting with my parents, and there was a a scandal that was taking place in the church. And uh, I remember thinking, this is just weird that this is going on in the church. I learned from a young age that in the place where there is supposed to be righteousness, there is wickedness. Solomon wants us to know injustice is everywhere. And now the question we need to ask is, what are we to do about it? How are we to think about this? He gives us an answer in verse 17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time and a matter, and and, uh, there is a, a time for every matter and for every work. Solomon here is comforted by the fact that even though Perfect justice does not happen in this life. Get this. 
There will be a time when perfect justice will take place because it's going to be carried out by God. He says, though there is injustice in this life now, a time for judgment is coming. And it's not going to be carried out by you. It's not going to be carried out by me. It's not going to be carried out by the courts. It's going to be carried out by God. Though the guilty might get off scot-free in our courts, they're not going to get by God. Nothing gets by God. Even though double jeopardy may be in place here in this life, it doesn't apply to God, does it? Those people will be judged and tried again by a God who knows everything, who judges perfectly, and who deals out appropriate punishment. That should help you rest at night at ease. It should set you at ease knowing that, that God is in control and that He will judge. But it should also move us to be merciful. I'll tell you why. You're going to read some passages this week in your spiritual growth guide about the fact that vengeance belongs to God, but we are to be people of mercy, people of grace, because we once were in the same boat. Maybe our our sins weren't as severe by the world's standards, but we were apart from God. We were enemies of Him. We were set against Him. and, And He is, by His great mercy and grace, He has made us right with Him. But you know what? Though that's the case, we at times, as believers, we can, be the most unju- we can be the most judgmental and ungracious people, can't we? At times it looks as if we have never experienced God's love and His grace and His mercy because we fail to show it to others, even though it's been freely shown to us. We of all people should be a people of love and of grace and of mercy. And out of love for those without Christ, we need to to be going to them and sharing the truth with them in love, knowing that they are set against God and in light of God's impending judgment. So, though there is injustice everywhere, God has the final word. Number two, though death comes to us all, there you go, life can be enjoyed. Though death comes to us all, life can be enjoyed. Now, in the following verses, Solomon transitions into one of the more bizarre passages of Scripture here. And you'll find that to be true when you read it. In this verse, at first glance, it's tough to tell how this relates to what Solomon has said previously and what he is going to say after. But as you examine it a little more closely, you see that it all fits quite nicely. And I'll show you how. Let's look at it real quick. Here Solomon is going to tell us in this passage that we, you and me, are like animals. Look at, look at verses 18 through 20. He said, I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Wow. did not that bless you? Be blessed with that passage. I know it. It's heavy. I told you. It's, it's, it's heavy. Now, a lot of people, they go to this passage and they, they say, you know, 
Those who believe in evolution say, look, Solomon makes our point right here. Man is no different from the beast, and they all return to the ground. That's a proof of evolutionary theory. But that's not what Solomon's point is here. This is where context comes in. Solomon is making one single solitary observation about man and beast. That they're like in this way. They die and they go to the ground. He's giving a, a under-the-sun, horizontal perspective. Look at these similarities between man and beast. Number one, we both live and then we die. Both man and beast are born, grow, and eventually stop breathing. If you've ever watched a, a, an animal take its last breath, it's really similar to the way we take our last breath. So we're, we're like the animals in this way. We both live and we both die. He also says, we both return to the same place. Now, Solomon here, once again, under the sun, he's not talking about heaven and hell. He is talking about our bodies both go to the ground. We take a dirt nap. We, we, our bodies begin to decay after we die. So we're like the animals in that way. Another similarity is this. Both of our lives are short. Though we normally live a bit longer than the animals, we, we both have short lives. There's a lot of comparisons that can be made. My parents are with me this morning, and uh, I hope I don't upset them by this illustration. But we re recently had a conversation about their newest dog, who just turned five. They, it seems like they just got her. Well, the dog before her that they had, she lived 16 years, which is a long life for a dog, right? If you think about it, if, if she lives as long as the, the dog previous, she's already lived a third of her life. And I'm sorry for that. This morning to be a downer but Solomon's being a downer so I'll join him but but uh, but an animal's life is so very short guess what ours is too right that's the point that Solomon continues to make time and time again our life is fleeting it's short-lived it's a vapor of vapors so life is harsh then you die the Bible doesn't remove the bitterness of that reality does it Solomon continues with this negative view on life under the sun in verse 21. He says, Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. He's basically saying, Who knows what happens when you die? Under the sun? It's anyone's guess. Solomon, when he's considering this question, he's just thinking of it empirically with his senses and his three-pound brain. He's just thinking of it empirically. And, and with just the facts before us, at best, what happens when we die, it's just a guess. I always get a kick out of people, even the, uh, the most just unbelieving skeptics. You know, when somebody dies, well, at least they're in a better place. How do you know? How do you know? Without God, we're just left with a, with a guess. Without special revelation, without God breaking in to human history, without the apostles and the disciples carried along by the Holy Spirit, without, without Christ who came in the flesh to show us the Father, how do we know? We're just left with, with a guess. Philosophy is a guess. Atheism is a guess. Can they prove what happens when you die? No. There's an element of faith even for them, even though they won't tell you that. They'll deny it. Trying to answer questions about, about death and, and what, what, what lies beyond the grave apart from God. 
is, is we can't know. We're just left with, with a guess. Once again, Solomon, what he's trying to accomplish here is he wants us to feel the weight of this life. He wants us to deal with this harshness of life, the hopelessness, the cruelty of life under the sun. And as we've said before, you know what? God wants this as well, doesn't he? God wants our eyes to be open to the harshness of life. That's the reason why we have the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the reason why we have challenging passages like this. God wants us to be disillusioned and discouraged by this life under the sun so that we would in turn turn to Him. He wants us to be brought to our wit's end so that we turn to Him in faith. This is an important realization that we have to come to in the book of Ecclesiastes that we don't have the answers. Therefore, we need to seek out the God who does. That's the purpose of Ecclesiastes. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in some sort of man-made explanation of life and the life to come, my prayer for you is that you would stop playing the guessing game when it comes to the things of God and that you would seek out, seek to know the God who knows the God who who knows these answers. When it comes to the questions of why are we here and what awaits us, the only way we can have answers to this is to know the one who knows. You know what happens when we do? When we come to know God through Christ, you know what happens? Not only do we get answers to those questions, but we get to enjoy life. We've talked about this. We as believers, we kind of get to have our cake and eat it too. We get to be satisfied with God and enjoy His blessings. Whereas those without Him are trying to find lasting satisfaction in the blessings and they just become extremely frustrated. We get those answers to life and we get to enjoy life and enjoy Him. Look at what Solomon says in verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? When you look at life, it's painful. People suffer, people die. It's just this brutal short run and then the end. But for those who know God, for those who have an above the sun perspective, get this, we get to live and enjoy our life. Even with all this difficulty, Even with trials and tribulations, we get to enjoy our life. So, though death comes to us all, life can be enjoyed. Number three, third and finally, though oppression is everywhere, we have a divine comforter. We're going to be in chapter four now, looking at verses one through three. The main point Solomon makes in these verses is is that oppression is everywhere. And oppression is severe. Solomon says in verse 1, Again, I saw all the uh, uh, oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who are already dead more fortunate, wow, than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Man, once again, heavy, right? 
It's tough. Solomon's point here is that oppression is everywhere. In most every area of life, you have oppression. Because in most every area of life, you have people in power who have a tendency to abuse that power. And Solomon says at times, oppression can be so difficult that the dead are more fortunate than the living and the unborn more fortunate than those who are born. Now, what's Solomon insinuating here? That, that, that abortion and suicide are better options because of the oppression in our world? No. That would go against what he says in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 22, when he tells us where to enjoy life. Solomon is using hyperbole here. And hyperbole is just a, an, an intentional exaggeration, a deliberate exaggeration. Solomon's making the point here that oppression at times is extremely unbearable. Now, some of you may be here this morning and saying, Graham, I just, I just can't relate. I just don't feel very oppressed in my life. I've got a great job. I've got a good boss. I just, I, I, a good husband, good wife. I, I just don't feel very oppressed. It's tough for me to relate. Let me challenge you this morning. Just open your eyes. There is oppression everywhere in our world. Consider the author, Solomon. Was he oppressed? He was king. But he was very much aware of the oppression that's everywhere present in our world. When I was in seminary, I did a lot of studying of, of uh, different, different cultures and different parts of the world. And one area that was just fascinating me was North Korea, of course. And y'all, y'all all know about North Korea and know that their people are some of the most oppressed in all the world. But what you don't hear often on, on uh, the news is that, that Christians are even more oppressed in that part of the world. There are right now 100,000 Christians in North Korea being tortured and persecuted. One of every four are in prison for their faith. Christians wake up every morning in fear of their lives. That's oppression. Oppression is everywhere. Remember I made mention earlier of the countless number of, of women and children whose homes are their prison. The very fact that we have Domestic Violence Awareness Month needs to be a wake-up call to us that oppression is everywhere. Where there should be love and comfort in the homes, there's abuse and there's oppression. Thinking about oppression in our world, it should, it should force us to respond as believers in a few ways. One, it should move us for act, uh, to action. It should move us to action. Though at times it's, it's tough to relate to those who are oppressed. You know who can relate? God can relate. The Bible can relate. The scriptures clearly teach as well that we are to be ministering to the oppressed. On the screen here, you see a, there's an emblem. It's a special forces emblem with the Latin phrase, De oppresso liber. That means to free the oppressed. Boy, that's our role, isn't it? As believers, to free the oppressed. You know what? This is what Christ did for us, didn't He? When He freed us from sin. Some of you are here this morning just thinking, you know, it's just so overwhelming. Because there's persecution everywhere. There's oppression everywhere. How can I even make a dent? How can I even begin? Let me ask you this. What about one life? 
What about one life? What if we all committed to invest in one life? I'll tell you a great way to do it. There's a great mission organization called The Voice of the Martyrs. And I don't know if y'all are familiar with it. If you have any questions, ask me afterwards. It's a great ministry. And, and what they do is they minister to Christians who are being persecuted in and around the world. And they give us here in the States a lot of opportunities to be involved. Man, what, what better opportunity is there to minister to Christians who are being persecuted because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to challenge you. Get involved with, with at least one life. We should be ministering to the oppressed. Second, the oppression that's in our world should lead us to a divine comforter. The scriptures are clear that this world is filled with with oppression and injustice, sin and death. But get this, God did not leave us, did he? He did not leave us to ourselves to figure things out on our own, even though we sinned against him and ruined his perfect creation. Instead, he sent Christ. And what did Christ do? Christ emptied himself. He took on flesh. He dwelt among us. Christ entered into this crazy and messed up world and was oppressed for us. He underwent judgment that he did not deserve, that we deserved. And he died in our place so that we could be delivered from oppression that's caused by sin. Maybe you're here this morning and you're put out with life. Life, as you know it, has become too difficult and you don't feel like you have anywhere to turn. Let me remind you of the words of the Lord Jesus in in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a guarantee. But this is a guarantee as well. Take heart. I have overcome the world. If you're beaten down by life this morning, let me invite you to place your faith in the one who has overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, life is hard. This life, because of our sin and our lives and in our world, your, your, your created world, the world you created perfect has been so messed up. Because of the sin in our lives and our world, we have injustice and, and, and oppression and death. Father, it's hard to make sense of things sometimes. It's hard to enjoy our season of life because life is filled with these realities. Father, we come before you today just in need of you. In need of you to grant us with the grace we need to live in this difficult life. Father, we praise your name for the fact that Though this life is, is so trying and difficult, God, you did not leave us alone. But instead, you demonstrated your great love for us by sending Christ, who was oppressed for us, took on the punishment we deserve so that we might be free. If there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, God, I pray right now that you would do a great work in their heart and life. Bring them to the end of themselves. Show them that this world, this is the best they're going to get without you, is this life. Father, I pray that you would do a work in their heart and life. 
that today would be the day of their salvation, that today would be the day they would turn from their sin and trust in you. In Jesus' name.